Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast that explores the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Adam Griffin, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Elizabeth Woodson and Adam Hawkins. And today we're also joined by our producer, David Roark. So excited for this episode, guys. Let's kick off this episode of talking about our favorites, of you, the listener, getting to know us better with the question that's really, really driving you guys crazy. Elizabeth Woodson, what is your favorite breakfast cereal? Multi-grain Cheerios. Wait, multi Really? I can see your face, Adam, <laughs> and you scrunched it up. <laughs> I don't feel seen or loved. <laughs> I love multigrain Cheerios. Of all the Cheerios, that one's my favorite. It's It seems healthier, but it's also kind of sweet, and I think it's really, really good. Uh, Adam Hawkins, favorite breakfast cereal? I've been into an off-brand of like a frosted wheat type cereal but it's not frosted i don't really know the name it's like a cinnamon <laughs> cinnamon frost or cinnamon oat squares i don't know you're, you're describing hay with some yeah, cinnamon on ex- it that is exactly it's hay with some cinnamon <laughs> on it that sounds disgusting i don't know anybody who really enjoys the off brand of cereal above the Here's brand i'm i'm, I'm lactose intolerant so i can't drink milk so I don't really eat cereal, so it has to not have any milk in it, which is gross. So everything. I actually I prefer cereal dry. I like it crunchy. Oh, that I is like, insane. I don't like soggy food. Elizabeth Woodson is with me, right, Elizabeth? David Rourke, how about you, buddy? What is your favorite <laughs> cereal? I'm gonna go with Life. Like oh, that's great. Life is great, dude. Some good Life cereal with milk. Because milk is essential to cereal. It's almost like it's not cereal if it doesn't have milk. Here's the thing. I don't believe any one of you. Every one of you picked some relatively healthy version of cereal. If you had to pick any cereal in the world, you're going to eat one cereal for the rest of your life. You guys have chosen the alfalfa. Honeycomb. (laughs) Thank you. Be honest. Honeycomb. It's delicious. (laughs) Whatever I picked wasn't great. I can tell you that. Honeycomb is probably as close to manna as we've got in our culture. It's just this sweet, flaky, honey-flavored wonderfulness. Well, I hope you guys are all learning something already about the team that is Culture Matters. But we've got so much in store for you of what is actually redeemable in this culture, what we've learned about the Lord and about ourselves through some of our favorites. And hopefully this will uh, encourage you and delight you as well. And you'll find some of the things you like or maybe some new things to check out as you listen to our episode about our favorites. We're all obviously stuck at home during this coronavirus pandemic, and we're looking for ways to pass time. And so we've talked on a couple episodes about what we're doing this during this time. And we've talked on episodes in the past about our favorite things for the year and our favorite things, uh, our favorite song of the year, album of the year, movie of the year. But we wanted today to do our all-time favorites. And for every one of us, this was a little bit difficult because we are narrowing down our list in only a few categories to only a few responses. So we're going to talk about our all-time favorites, but understand that this does not mean we're saying this is the greatest movie of all time or the greatest song of all time. These are personal tastes. 
These are things maybe for me, when I think about it, it's things that I can go back to over and over and over again. There's some movies that I've watched and loved and thought, I will never see that again. It was too emotionally draining. So when I think of favorites, I think of what can I keep going back to? And for each of us, we may have defined that differently. But let's start with movies. I know that we are all uh, people that enjoy movies, but David Rourke, I don't know anybody who enjoys movies or knows more about movies than you. So David, why don't you kick us off? with your top three movies and maybe give us just a just a moment of explanation as we go okay uh top three movies i would say no country for old men by the cohen brothers a movie called magnolia by paul thomas anderson and the last one which would definitely be my number one and people who know me well would not be surprised they're making fun of me even before i say it but that would be the tree of life by terrence malick which uh, that's a movie that was known for people walking out of the theater for. So there's that. They're all pretty, pretty artsy fartsy movies. If I'm being honest, I'm sure people are smirking and sighing as they say me, hear me say this, but I think that I like all those movies. I think they're very meaningful movies that have, um, lots to think about, um, lots of connections with spirituality, the tree in life in particular feels like the most if not one of the most gospel Christian story um, infused movies that I've ever seen in my life. And I just think it's beautiful and it makes me want to worship the Lord more. I love the way you think about movies that way. You're thinking about thematically, you're thinking about biblically. What is the powerful theme that we come out of that? Uh, Elizabeth Woodson, how about you? Top three movies of all time in your opinion. Top three movies of all time to me. Um, one is The Wiz. It will always be my top movie. It is the black version of The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. And uh, the music is phenomenal. Like, it has Diana Ross and Michael Jackson. Great movie. Forrest Gump. Just going to leave that there. Yep. And Glory, which is a movie from the late 80s with okay. Denzel Washington. Mm. And it is talking about the second affirmative african-american regiment during the civil war and it is just a beautiful movie about a lot of different things that were happening during that time slavery african-americans in the war and it just ends with this really epic and sad scene but it's a beautiful movie did you guys get, have to watch glory in school when you were growing up was that a thing did you guys get to watch it in class mm -hmm. oh we watched it i can't remember what course i was taking but so it was so fun to like uh, think about the meaning of this movie with a large group of people yeah. that had to be bought in and write about it. I loved it. That is a great choice. Glory. Adam. There Hawk. is a scene in that film that I think might be the best piece of acting I've ever seen where Denzel literally cries a single tear as he's being yeah. whipped. At the I, man. Yeah. You guys are just not helping my list. This is a this is a difficult thing for me. So let me read them quickly. Can I, real quick, can I just say I giggled a little bit when you said the whiz, Elizabeth, only only because yes, I, thought, I thought I thought you were for some reason my mind went to the wizard that 80s movie with Fred Savage and I don't know I don't know why. I need you to think better of me than that, David. <laughs> yeah. I thought, you know, I thought it was just a personal, you know, guilty pleasure favorite movie, you know, and that would have been fine too. But the Wiz makes a lot more sense than the Wizard. Hawkins. I have to be honest. I was surprised that Wes Anderson, a Wes Anderson film, didn't make your top three, Roark. But I understand. 
It's right there. It's in the top five, man. I just I know do some eliminating. Okay, no particular order. A film called Ikiru, which is a Japanese film that means to live, and it's by uh, Kurosawa. It's a brilliant film. Uh, a movie, I'm just going to throw it in there, called The Fountain. It's by Darren Aronofsky. It's actually one of his least favorite works, but I just love it. And my third um, is actually also Magnolia uh, by Paul Thomas Anderson. Dang. Nerd. That, that was, was such really a I've met very few people who have, one, seen that movie, two, who loved it as much as me. My only familiarity with your list is that Kurosawa, He Makes Mad Films, was a line in the Bare Naked Ladies song. Uh, and so <laughs> that's as close as I've gotten to understanding what you're talking about. Uh, uh, Hidden Fortress is another one, uh, and that's what Star Wars is partially based off of. So he makes really – he does interesting things. I mean, here's the thing. If I would have done top five, I would have had the Lord of the Rings trilogy in there. You know, uh, there's others as well. Yeah, that's uh, a little bit cheating when you start going like Christopher Nolan's Batman movie trilogies, uh, the Harry Potter nine movies. He starts naming his four and five, which he's not supposed to do. That's unfair. I get it. But let me just say, I think it's absolutely legitimate. If there is a trilogy that truly is one long film, and I think you can make the argument that Lord of the Rings is more than any other, most other trilogies. So whatever, keep going. <laughs> That's great. Let me just redeem this by, since you gave an extra, I'll only give two. My no, favorite, come on. My, I have a ton of favorite movies, but I'll give two categories. My favorite movie to watch with my kids is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I think it's a wonderful great. movie from just a couple years ago. It's very rare yeah. to have a kid's movie that has a redeeming family theme where at the end the hero loves their family more than at the beginning instead of them being abandoned or orphaned throughout the film or realizing totally. their parents are the problem. But my number one most favorite movie of all time, personally, is a movie called Stranger Than Fiction, starring Will Ferrell, Dustin Hoffman, Emma Thompson, uh, Queen Latifah, and uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal about a man who starts hearing a narrator. It's got such great gospel parallels where this man realizes he's part of a great story where he's going to die. And when he realizes the story of his life, even though it's finally coming together— he realizes that uh, the story is worth living and it's worth dying in order to live the story that's been written for him. And he's willing to sacrifice himself to save somebody else. And it is just this incredibly funny, quirky, uh, not laugh out loud funny. It's not silly funny. It's just really well done. Who did that one again? Do you remember? Who directed it? Yeah. Uh, it's the same guy that did Neverland. He was doing a couple movies at the time with uh, Dustin Hoffman. I can't remember okay. I can't believe name. He's not name. No, that's a good film, man. I forgot about that. It's my favorite, and of course, I taught English oh, yeah. for a few for a few years. And you talk to English teachers; they'll always mention like Dead Poets Society, Stranger Than Fiction, things oh, like yeah. that. Uh, it's amazing how many movies we have about writers, and you're like, "Well, who's writing these things?" You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's switch gears and talk TV here. Adam Hawkins, why don't you kick us off here? What are your favorite television shows of all time? Yeah, man, this is super difficult, especially when you narrow it down to three. What's interesting to me about TV shows, just very quick notice, they seem more pop culture than the other ones. The other ones, it's easy to sort of talk about like high art stuff, but for TV shows, TV show is like art is actually a fairly recent phenomenon. So uh, as I dug back, I just 
it was easiest to talk most broadly about. So The Office is one for me that I will just always watch. You know, it's almost always on in the background of my house. Uh, and it just brings me a lot of joy. Um, man, this is hard to narrow down since I comedy. I won't choose the other comedy on my list to talk about. Uh, X-Files, dude. I grew up watching the show The X-Files night on Friday nights with my dad. And it is one of my fondest memories growing up watching that show and sort of being scared out of my mind. And it also, though, uh, caused me to want like to wonder about the reality of the world. And there was something really uh, something in that that always stuck with me. Uh, And then the final one. Gosh, dude, there's so many good ones. But I'm going to go with um, Band of Brothers is what I'm going to go with. That's great. I love Band of Brothers. Great choices, Adam. I approve of your list. Elizabeth you. Woodson, you're the person who owns the largest TV on this team, and you're, <laughs> you can't pull you away from it. I just don't have a measuring tape big enough to measure my TV. <laughs> um, the first one is Law & Order from mm-hmm. the 80s. Like, mm-hmm. if, I have, if I sit in front of a TV, that's what I'm turning on. There's like two shows I'm going to turn on, and Law and & Order oh. is them. Um, Deep Space Nine, which is part of the Star Trek family. And I used to watch it with my dad. Like, my dad is not a sports guy, but he watched ER and Deep Space Nine. So, Deep Space Nine (laughs) is my favorite. And then I would have to say The West Wing. Mm. So, coming to TVC, The Village Church, I have been indoctrinated to many things, and The West Wing is one of them. That's, as you should. The West Wing is a tremendous show, especially when the first uh, couple seasons were written so expertly and the acting is so superb. I love that. In fact, um, when Soykin went on to do uh, – what's the one about the press? It's slipping my mind right now. Newsroom? Newsroom. Thank you. His. Yeah. I don't know if you've watched Newsroom yet, Elizabeth. But the first season of Newsroom, uh, also by Aaron Soykin, he is – it's just so great. His his idea of taking uh, who should be a hero in our culture and writing them as a hero. Like if our politicians were actually who we wanted them to be, boom, West Wing. If our uh, press were actually who we wanted them to be, boom, Newsroom. And he has these great kind of uh, themes that go with it. I, I think that's great. I'm also surprised that you like Star Trek. I did not know that about you. Oh, I love Star Trek. Love that it. Is- that's something that uh, my family grew up watching together, and my sister still to this day just loves Star Trek, and it's so nostalgic for her. But for me, my three are also – I love that both of you guys brought up things like X-Files and Star Trek, things you watched with your family. My family watched a lot of like uh, Sherlock, Perry Mason, like mm-hmm. old-school crime shows, and I feel like that has really influenced – my favorites as well. So Sherlock, the one from uh, the, uh, BBC the last couple of years with yeah. Batch. I love that show. The Cumberbatch, dude. Yes. Uh, uh, Luther with Edris Elba. I love that show. Dude. I could watch that over and over again. Amen. And I know it's dark. I know it's the themes are dark, but it is just like the anti-hero who solves with a heart of gold. That just always gets me. Uh, similar to like Law and Order, you're like, I just need justice. Mm-hmm. And then the third one, this is a little bit wackier, but it always cracks me up. Is Flight of the Concords, uh, <laughs> which is uh, the parody band from New Zealand. They had an HBO show for a few years, and the first couple seasons of that before they started trying to write new songs, and it really got terrible. But Flight of the Concords is so 
funny. It, their accents and their humor just always crack me up. David, how about you, buddy? What TV shows make you happy? Uh, the one that probably makes me the happiest and makes me laugh the most would be what I think is the funniest television show ever made, and that would be Seinfeld. And I grew up watching that show with my parents, which is funny because they didn't let me watch certain certain things as a kid, like pretty conservative home. Yet we were watching Seinfeld, and then you know, in hindsight, I'm like, there's some there's some stuff in Seinfeld that's definitely <laughs> not necessarily like kid friendly at all. But I love that show, and I think that um, it's just got great characters, and they can. It's the show about nothing, and it literally can take a nothing moment out of life and make it hilarious. So it's just beautiful writing, really smart. And then I love Mad Men. Um, that show is it's got some hard things to watch in it, um, some hard characters to like, but um, I love the setting of uh, 1960s ad agency era love the the clothes the like the fashion the furniture um and i just love that world i love the the ad agency world and um and there's something about the anti-hero don draper is a hard character to to love but you you keep wanting to believe that he's going to change and um there's some interesting parallels there with just sort of the christian life if you will um i think anyway and uh, last one would be, I would go with, there's a show that was on HBO called The Leftovers. And uh, three seasons, the premise was that uh, something happened in the world and a bunch of people were raptured away. And um, so really season one is about these people grieving the loss of like family members, spouses, kids who just were set, suddenly disappeared and uh, so there's a whole lot about grief and sorrow in the show, but there's also the sort of spiritual transcendent aspect to it as well. And it gets pretty sci-fi by season three, but good show. That's awesome. That reminds me of a couple other ones that I didn't mention, but Lost was so close to being my favorite show until the last season ruined everything. Stranger Things, I absolutely love. I love those kind of sci-fi crazy stuff. But let's switch gears. So let's talk about music. And Elizabeth, I know you're going to have probably way more than you could fit into just uh, three choices here. I know you're a big music person, but what are the the three for you that really stand out as these uh, these define Elizabeth Woodson's taste? Yeah, this this was a hard one. So I tried to find one from like major categories because I could go on for the rest of the night. Yeah. Um, the first one, it does have language if you decide to listen to it. It's to me that one of the greatest hip hop albums of all time, which is Black on Both Sides by Most Def. Like, they mm. just did a 20, 20th anniversary concert um, earlier this year. Just a fabulous, fabulous um, piece of art. Then the next one would be Kirk Franklin and the Family's Christmas album. It is classic. Oh. Add it to your Christmas rotation. You will thank me. <laughs> and the last one is the soundtrack to Amadeus. Mozart. It's the story of Mozart. The music is absolutely beautiful. I love classical music, so I had to put that in there. But it is just beautiful music. Let you know that there is a God because he gave gifts for people to make music like that. That is awesome. I love that. The God, there has to be a God because listen to this soundtrack and listen to Most Def. The, this is just evidence of the Lord. David Rorick, how about you, man? What music made your list? Uh, again, probably going to get made fun of for the hipster indie stuff but i just have to be honest on this show with you guys you know um hey, you gotta quit apologizing man 
I know. I need to. Um, so I'm going to go. I could have went with several different albums by him, but I just picked one. Sufjan Stevens, Illinois. He had a plan at one point to do an album on all 50 states, which was quite an ambitious undertaking, and it didn't work out for him. But uh, Illinois was really, really good. Um, and the music sort of embodies the sound of the state and different stories that took place in the state, different people. Really, really cool concept and some amazing arrangements of music because it doesn't just – I mean, there's there's a lot of different genres mashed into that album. The Strokes, is this it? Um, like one of the coolest, more modern rock and roll albums in a, in a long, long time. Love that record. And then I guess I'll go with uh, Arcade Fire, The Suburbs. I don't really like Arcade Fire's newer stuff, but that particular album I thought was pretty perfect from a songwriting standpoint and sound um, and resonated a lot with me and where I was at life in life at that point. So that was pretty middle of the road to me. That's not, that didn't sound too crazy. Adam Hawkins, how about you? Give us some Japanese band we've never heard of. That's your top three. <laughs> Good. Uh, an album to definitely check out is by a Japanese band called supercar, which were really great in the nineties. And they have some super interesting music videos, but they're not going to be in my top three. Um, also most deaf man, when you just said that Elizabeth, I thought, I think he might, he might have been like the first one who really introduced me into another side of, um, hip hop that was, I knew like mainstream, I guess you might say, but most deaf had this intellectual thing. And I, I, you know, just being whatever kid from the suburbs, I didn't really know that. And through him, like tribe called quest and, yeah. and all these dudes that like, Gosh, man, I just, yeah, I feel like you just blew up my list. So anyways, whatever. Um, my top three that I'll give you is, uh, the first will be an album um, by a band called My Bloody Valentine, and the album is called Loveless. It was made in the early 90s, and it sort of probably highlights this genre of music called shoegaze, which was like a pejorative term because they said these guys would basically stand on stage and look at their shoes the whole time. But the album itself, uh, it's an interesting album. Some people, when they describe it, say uh, it embodies uh, this light versus darkness in a really, um, in a really, uh, uh, I don't know, imaginative way. And what that is is like there's like these really beautiful sounds that sort of went out, and every once in a while you'll get something that seems a little more dark. I don't know. I don't know the perfect way to describe it, but. Uh, to me, it's always had a very spiritual undertone to it, uh, and so I love it very much. Another album that I love is by a band called Neutral Milk Hotel, and the album's called In the Aeroplane Over the Sea. And um, lyrically... God, that uh, it's album's a, so good. So good. Yeah, folk, folksy album. Um, David and I's uh, uh, interest, obviously, you guys are probably figuring out uh, Dovetail pretty well. Um, but that album's really great. It's a stream of consciousness sort of album and he's this guy has this like obsession with uh and frank and at the same time he's like doing this autobiographical thing it just it's hard to describe but it's incredible and then the third is going to just be too hard uh to to name i just can't even i don't know how to narrow this down so what i'll say i'll just throw it out there is bob dylan's freewheeling um just such a good album uh politically almost timeless in the sense of some of what he's capturing in it and uh folksier album, but I could have gone with 
a million other things, a Radiohead album, a Jeff Buckley album, Rolling Stones, Beatles, you name it. I could keep going. So anyways, uh, that's that's where I have to stop, though. So No, that's great. I love the way you guys are dovetailing together. And I haven't heard of anything you just mentioned. So that'll be a good challenge for me. <laughs> uh, heard of Bob Dylan. Everyone's heard of Bob Dylan. I have, I've heard of Bob Dylan. I've never sat down and listened to that album. Well, get ready to live. Well, Bob Dylan's <laughs> voice sounds a little like, I don't know what somebody did to a cat in your backyard. But yeah, that's not what it's about, dude. I know. Man. I'm just expressing my opinion, right? It's our favorites of all time. Yeah. So all if you were... If you were to check my phone on what is Adam's most played album of all time, there's only one that get, gets played several times a week, and that is Yo-Yo Ma's Bach Cello Suites. Okay. I listen to that while I study, while I prep. I listen to that probably at least once a week. It's on at some point because it's just beautiful. It's about 36 hours long, I think the album is, but it is so – or maybe it's 36 songs – that's what for six songs. Thank you. <laughs> that would be a long album. <laughs> Longest album ever made. I don't know why hours came out of my mouth. It, I knew it's not 36 hours. I'm 36 songs long. And I put it on shuffle so that I don't get in kind of like the groove of this song's next. Although that's probably against a purist. You're going from key to key. But that's all right. I love Yo-Yo Ma's Bacchella Suites. Uh, the album that has stuck with me the longest, the one that like since high school I will still listen to, I listened today while I was running and working out, is uh, Cake's Fashion Nugget. I have always loved that album. It just gets me going. There are some songs on there that are terribly inappropriate. I don't listen to those ones. I didn't download them. But The Distance, uh, Frank Sinatra, their cover of I Will Survive. Um, I'm trying to think what else is on that album, but all, like long skirt, short, uh, short skirt, long jacket. I love some cake. It's so good. Uh, and then third, my favorite song of all time in this is timely is Bill Withers. Ain't no sunshine. Bill Withers just passed Gosh. away a few weeks ago. Yeah. And if you listen to that song, it is, you could release it today. I mean, the, yeah. the mix that he has on there, the baseline, it is just, it's it's so I don't know if it was ahead of a time or it's just timeless, but that song is so good. Now, I, too, could keep going. I didn't even mention any folk. I love Christian music. I love folk music. I love Mumford & Sons, Dave Matthews, Tim Reynolds albums, Phil Wickham. I mean, there's a lot that I love in those genres, but these are the ones that I love the most and stick with me. Uh, but again, we could talk all day. Let's switch to one more category before we wait, take wait, a break. Wait. I, have, I have a question for you, Griffin. Okay. One is I love the Bill Withers reference. So good. So timely. Uh, but – have you seen um, the – there was like a little documentary or something that came out where Bobby McFerrin – I don't know if you know who he is, but he did um, oh, the song in the 80s of Don't Worry, Be Happy or something like that. But he's actually this really – he's like a music teacher and he's super, super talented in terms of um, of doing uh, of improvisation stuff. And he gets with Yo-Yo Ma. And he, he and Yo-Yo Ma sit down, and Bobby McFerrin does, like, vocal stuff. You, you probably remember that song, Don't Worry, Be Happy, or whatever. But he, he challenges Yo-Yo Ma to sort of come out of his shell and improvise. And Yo-Yo Ma has all this hard time because he's classically trained and all that. Have you seen that before or not? No. I've, it sounds right up my alley. It is brilliant, dude. You would love it. Seriously. Check. I'll find it and send it to you. I love uh, strange crossovers. Like when we did that work on the um, Mr. Rogers uh, documentary and Yo-Yo Ma played a big role in it. It's just surprising. Yes. You know? Yep. Or he's also in uh, West Wings, throwback to Elizabeth's favorites. There's an episode with Yo-Yo Ma in it. And 
He is uh, famous for a reason. The guy's gifted. Uh, let's talk about books. And um, these are we are in a book loving group right here. Elizabeth, I'm going to go back to you again because I know this was hard for you. You read uh, more books than just about anybody I know. But what sticks out to you as your favorites of all time? This was hard. Um, if I give the favorites that came to mind today, the producer will probably change tomorrow. I have a ton of books. I collect three things: books, <laughs> music, and art. Um, and so the first one, I think I try to choose ones from different. Uh, they're all nonfiction. I read nonfiction books a lot. Um, the first one is kind of businessy from a business background, and that's good to great. Um, and so that, when I was in a business zone, really helped me kind of understand staying in your lane and doing what you do well and just sticking to that. Um, Becoming by Michelle Obama. Beautiful story. I think just really encouraging about what it means to be a woman in leadership and just the significant things she's done, but the life she had to get there. Uh, I did an audible. She read it. It was phenomenal. And then the last one is a new one on my list, but it's The Care of Souls by Harold Sinkville. And Mm. he does a beautiful job about talking about ministry and how our job as ministers is to point people towards the word. He's Lutheran, so he does the word and the sacraments. Um, And that talks about habitus and how you just get better as a minister by just doing it. And the longer you're with their people, the longer you know them and the better you can care for them. It is just a great book. That book, Elizabeth, from, I'm just echoing that. If there's a minister out there or a pastor, yeah. I think it's a must read. I, I don't yeah. know that there's a book that's made me feel more, um, it's clarified for me more than any other book I've ever read, what it actually, what you are doing when you're pastoring with people, what it means to pastor. Exactly. I've never felt just more clear about, oh, yeah, that is exactly right. You know, so I don't know. I'm just echoing it. Great book, man. I grew up Lutheran, and I was delighted reading that book. It felt like going home a little bit to me, you know, yeah. just reading about, you know, I went to Lutheran schools through college, and um, it just was nostalgic. Uh, David Rourke, how about you? Favorite books? I'm going to not apologize. I'm just going to jump right in. And There you go. 1984, 1984 by George Orwell. I love dystopian novels. That's like when I was going to do a master's in English, ended up going a different route and I was going to focus my work on dystopian literature just because I love that, those type of stories. And I would say that's my favorite, just so much, uh, prophetic (laughs) thought into that story. And I love that it's a love story, um, at the heart of it though. And, um, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. I did not grow up on Harry Potter at all. But I've started to read them with my kids, and I've probably now read Sorcerer's Stone three or four times with my oldest. So I just, I love it. It's a great story. And gosh, is the gospel in that story. And let's fight about it if you don't believe me. Last one is My Name is Asher Lev by a guy named Haim Potok. He was a Jewish rabbi. He wrote several, he wrote a lot of books, mostly fiction. Uh, My Name is Asher Lev is about an artist. He's in, uh, Orthodox Jew who discovers he has the gift of painting. But if you're an Orthodox or he's a Hasidic Jew, I should say, sorry. And if you're a Hasidic Jew, you study Torah, you don't become an artist. And so it is the, uh, the clashing of two worlds, sacred, secular. Um, how do I live faithfully as an artist? Um, but how do I still be Jewish? That's sort of like the, the essence of the novel. And it is, uh, it's really, really powerful in the, 
the writing is amazing. It's kind of feels very memoir esque because it's written from the perspective of Asher. So highly recommend that book. I've read it a few times and and love it. That's great. Nineteen eighty four. I bet a lot of our country has read that just through school, but it's because it is. You're right. It's prophetic in a lot of ways. I, lo- I love books that are ahead of their time, but uh, really describe something for us culturally. Adam Hawkins, what sticks out to you? Favorite books? Man, I wanted you to go first because I wanted you to see if you were going to say what you need to say. I'm ready. Are you going to say what you need to say? Yes. Here's, here, okay. let, me, let me get to what we need to say, and I'll say two other ones first. Okay. First, <laughs> my, the book that I've read more than any other book outside the Bible and this is a book I disciple men through. We read it together, and it's called The Training of the Twelve. It's a book written in the 1800s by a man named A.B. Bruce, and he just goes, it's a harmony of the Gospels. He walks through Jesus's training of his disciples in order, and what is he training them to do? And it is, uh, I collect old versions of this book. I have a small collection of them. You'll find them, two or three of them in my office, two or three of them in my house. I love that book. Uh my favorite biography of all time is The Rise of Theodore Roosevelt by Edmund Morris. It won the Pulitzer for biography. It's brilliant. Theodore Roosevelt's mm-hmm. life is amazing, and that book is phenomenal. And then when it comes to fiction, my favorite fiction author, at least right now, and this is something that a, f- a mutual friend of Adam and I's put us on to a couple years ago, is Brandersan- Brandon Sanderson's writing of, uh, to me personally, the Stormlight Archive and the Mistborn series. I love them too much. I, I've read them more than once, and I rarely read a book more than once, especially if it's <laughs> fiction. I just enjoy it and put it on the shelf. But I love it. Adam, did that make your top three? Man, it did, but now I don't have to say it because you've already said it, so it, le- it lets me put one other, other one in there. Uh, I can't recommend Sanderson enough, dude. He is he is amazing. Like, it's it, that that the stormlight archive especially so um let me say say something about it real quick that i do like it is it's written he's mormon and religion is heavily involved in his fiction and you can tell it's from a mormon perspective but he does such a good job of creating loose ends that you're kind of drive you nuts until the very end and everything starts tying together and then in the follow-up book it kind of unties everything that you thought was resolved and kind of creates this like, but what if, what if the bad guy was actually good? And what if the good guy was actually bad? And it creates these kind of moral dilemmas over and over and over again. So it's not just a good, compelling mm. story. I think it's, it's beautifully written and very religious. How, sorry, Adam, to take yeah. away some of your time. No, that was, that's beautiful. Um, so I'm glad you guys, I, I wasn't, I didn't think to do like a one from each category. I just said, this is way too hard. So I just did fiction, uh, even though I probably mostly read nonfiction. So I just did fiction, and the ones I came up with were Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy, um, which is just a crazy book, uh, but but great. Dark. Uh, uh, I think he's Christ-haunted in a way, his, his books are. Um, the other one is Collected Fiction by uh, Borges. Uh, that's He's sort of... Yeah, it's just great. He's he's an Argentinian author, actually, I think. And uh, this is his collected short stories, which are really wonderful. Uh, and then my third is probably going to be Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky. Um, just a hard read, for sure, but, like, worth it, you know? And it's, it is, to me, full of the gospel. Uh, it Maybe in a little more philosophical sense, but there are certainly sections in there 
that talk about restoration in a way that that just will capture your heart. Uh, but you got to wait till the end to get there. So, yeah. Wow. Uh, I have tried. I've started that book several times and never been able to fight through it. But I know your history as a lawyer, you probably you probably ate it up. Yeah. It's a bit of an intellectual hair shirt. You know what I mean? You kind of walk around with it and it, uh, it itches the skin a bit. It's like doing penance somehow. But you do, when you get to the end, feel... Feel as if you've accomplished something. <laughs> and I, I love this conversation. We could talk all night about just the artistry of it, the themes of it, what we love about it. Great writers, like you just mentioned, Aaron Sorkin, when it comes to media, we talked about uh, directors, we talked about uh, most deaf, you know, just these creative types. And some of this, uh, the reason it delights us is because not just that we enjoy it, but it kind of triggers something or it, it, it uh, challenges something inside us. Okay, before we conclude our conversation, and I don't want to go to more categories, but let's just end with some other uh, just kind of general, maybe it doesn't have to be everybody answers the same question, but I just ask a couple of, of kind of get-to-know-you type things uh, that maybe people would typically ask. David has some here for us. I think these are great ways to start, but uh, let's talk about, I know, Adam, you're a big foodie. We've had a great food episode before. What is your favorite way to prepare or what is your favorite food that maybe a lot of people don't, something that people wouldn't know about you? Yeah. So, um, I'll let somebody else answer the steak question. I'll do a favorite food that people don't know, although maybe they would, uh, guess it because of how pretentious it is and how pretentious I am. But, um, <laughs> probably uh ramen is a huge my wife and i went to japan and i'm pretty sure we planned the whole trip around just going to different ramen shops uh around tokyo and um i'm not kidding we probably spent a week and would at least once a day but probably twice a day sometimes go and try different ramen out so i just i really love ramen uh it is wonderful Food. That's awesome. Elizabeth, are you a coffee person or a tea person? And how do you like it? I'm neither. I knew it. Mm. I, if I have to choose, <laughs> I will take coffee with chocolate, which just makes every coffee drinker just turn their nose up at me because they're like, why are you even drinking it? Um, but yeah, I just don't, I don't like either. Me, me too. I'll have a mocha. You know, yeah. but it's, that's a dessert. That's basically a shake. That's coffee flavored ice cream. Basically. But I love it. Uh, David, are you a big coffee drinker? I don't think I know this. I am. I am. I craft coffee, make it in a Chemex, have a subscription to beans, the whole the whole gamut. I'm not as I'm not as into it as others, but I I enjoy a good cup of coffee for sure. That's awesome. I feel like something I know a lot about when it comes to food and drink that a lot of people probably would not, but they would probably guess it about me, is I feel like I have a very good understanding of the differences between like Papa John's, Domino's, Pizza Hut, and local pizzerias. I also have a very good judgment center, I think, when it comes to other fast food about what are you going to get if you go to Taco Bueno, Taco uh, Taco Bell, you know, or any of the chicken restaurants in my neighborhood. I can tell you this is what you're going to get, or Chick-fil-A, Whataburger. I'm way too familiar with their menus. And it's not that I eat fast food all the time. I just I just find that uh, apparently most people don't know, you know, what's the difference between Jimmy John's and Jersey Mike's? And I could tell you top to bottom. 
what the differences are and uh and okay. Okay. Wait, 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 wait. you're just the reason yeah that's i'm like you're just through this prove it bro <laughs> which what do you want to know what do you want to know okay, here's what i want to know let, let me ask you two questions the first one is best what's the best of the pizza chains chains oh what's best here's the thing pizza hut is by far the best uh, of the pizza chains. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. no. Okay. Why they're justify it. Why? Okay. Uh, first of all, pizza huts, flavored crusts are game. Okay. Changing. Not only okay. that, but the variety of things that you can do obviously is going to be the same across the gamut. But the, if you get kind of their standard pizza, their cheese, their sauce, and their meats, as much as Papa John says their ingredients are better, I'm telling you, if I gave you a blind taste test, you would pick Pizza Hut yeah. if you are alive. What, so what would be your go-to? Like if you were to tell somebody, okay, hey, you're, let me prove to you that this is true, what, what pie would you tell them to get? Oh, I'd probably get a, uh, a meat lover's with a pretzel crust. <laughs> Although pretzel cost has been limited. Man, I love, is, I love Pizza Hut. This is my favorite part of this whole all the wrong things. You got to go, go with the pan pizza at Pizza Hut, dude. Hang on. That is a pan pizza. And oh, that it, is? I don't know what pretzel crust is. That's <laughs> it's a, they What they do is instead of having a generic crust, which is just the leftover border of, of dough, they flavor that sucker. They'll put some garlic on it or some Parmesan mm-hmm. on it or pretzel yeah. it up. Or they'll put their little uh, garlic. If you haven't had Pizza Hut's garlic knots, then you're probably safe from addiction at this point. But if you try them, <laughs> you'd be surprised. Elizabeth, I can see no. you disagreeing with me. What no, is, what is Pizza this Hut. That you love? No. no, it's Papa John's all day, every day. It's the best chain. I like Pizza Hut Domino's. They're like close to me. But Papa John's every day. Best <sighs> sauce. Hands down, best crust, hands down. I will eat some Papa John's. I like Papa John's, but uh, my wife and I both subscribe to this idea. And my wife has spent a lot of time doing. I shouldn't bust her out on this, but she has done Pizza Hut taste tests for a long time, where they pay you fifty bucks to come in and try a bunch of their experimental things because Pizza Hut is kind of based in Dallas. And she still she gets emails from Pizza Hut three or four times a day. And we are uh, huge advocates for their organization. Oh, <laughs> it makes sense now. All, just all just up, pay to say all that. Follow-up question. Yeah. Best pizza, best pizza in Dallas. Oh, that's a really good question. Uh, I, uh, there's a new place on Greenville called Pizzeria Testa, and it's a Neapolitan pizza wow. that, that where they cook it in like 30 seconds inside a super hot stove. And so you can use a different kind of dough in there, and it is one of the best. So Cane Rosa is the other famous example of that kind of pizza in Dallas. It's been around for a little bit longer. But Cane Rosa gets kind of soupy in the middle. It gets a little thin, whereas Pizzeria Testa, it is amazing. And it's um, as long as when coronavirus leaves us, it's still open. I think we can all be happy again. So Okay. Thank you. I have to – you brought it up though, Adam. I have to ask everyone. Quick answer real quick. Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich or Popeye's? What do you say? You know what? I thought, well, can I tell, let me say this. My wife and I went to try Popeye's. So I got in the drive through line and it was one and one half hour before I got my sandwich. And there were wow. only five, there were five cars ahead of me. 
And so I have a dear friend who works for Canes, and he said the biggest difference between Chick-fil-A and Popeye's is not the taste. It's the quality of the customer service that you get typically at a restaurant. And I believe that. But I was expecting to hate Popeye's sandwich, and I'll tell you, I loved it. It was really, really good. Did you get the spicy one or the regular? I got the regular. I still have not gone back. I haven't had two hours to waste to go back and try the spicy. It's not two hours anymore. (laughs) Not every day. Elizabeth, how about you? I haven't tried it, but from the consensus I had from the people I know is this Popeye's. Uh, I have not eaten food in over 10 years, so I don't know. Are you serious? <laughs> now, I have had like a Chick-fil-A wrap or something, but yeah, I really haven't. You are pretentious. You'll go to it every... No, it's not, dude, it's not that. I am a... I am George... Costanza from Seinfeld. I pretty that's pretty much who I am, and so uh, it does. Basically, my point in saying that is I have a uh, an anxiety disorder, and things mess are mess with me really easily. Well, you're so. you're intolerant of many things, and yes. uh, physically and mentally and spiritually, you are intolerant. Uh, well, let me <laughs> let's conclude with one last question here. What is something that people that most people like? But you don't. Oh man, I'm gonna make so many people mad. The I've tried to read John Calvin, <laughs> and I listen, listen, guys. He's, he's oh, what is wrong with He's clearly one of the greatest theologians ever, and I'm not. I'm not saying anything about his theology necessarily, even though what's become of it bothers me in some ways, but I just like, when I, when I read the things, granted, I know it's translated and things like that, but I'm just like, this is not good writing. This is hard to read. This is not, this is, this is clunky. It's repetitive. It, it just, I don't, I don't find it to be good writing. That's, that's my John Calvin rant. Yeah. If only you'd been alive during the reformation, we'd have a five point row arcs, you know, we'd all be following you. <laughs> Did I say I could do better? No. (laughs) (laughs) Adam Hawkins, I know you got a long list here, so narrow it down to one. What is something that most people like that you are intolerant of? I'll I'll go and I'll say um, I am not a fan of anti-hero stories. I hate Breaking Bad. I hate TV shows where you have to root for somebody you wish would just die. Uh, I just can't watch them. I like the whole, I tried to watch Breaking Bad for like half a season and I find, found myself like the whole time rooting that Walter White, is that his name, would just get caught or die. And so I just had to turn it off. Can I do, <laughs> so a, that, I can I do a rabbit can't... trail really quickly though? I don't think, sure. I don't think, I don't think he's meant to be an anti-hero in Breaking Bad. For I, I think he's truly a villain, but that's just a thought anyway. Okay. Okay. How about you, Elizabeth? Something that most people like that you do not. It's not, it's actually not a bad thing. I think it needs to continue. It just makes me mad anxious. And that is giving and receiving gifts. I don't <laughs> like at Christmas. I'm like, why can't we do a bill exchange? You pay my bill. I pay your bill. Everybody's bills. Gets That's good. <laughs> but no, we don't do that as a family. I, I'm, I'm, I don't like stuff. So, like, I'm a minimalist, and so when you give me something and I don't like it, then I feel real anxious. And then um, giving me, giving gifts, I, a gift card is love for me. People might not like gift cards, 
They might think it's lazy, but that's love for me. You can get what you want. That's me. But yeah, giving and receiving gifts makes me feel really anxious. That's interesting. Would you, are you, do you subscribe to the five love languages? I do. And what would you say is, is something that you do appreciate? Quality time and um, physical touch. So like going out to dinner with me and give me a hug, go a lot longer than give me a gift. I will still take it. I'm not going to block blessings. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yes, I get a taste bit anxious. There are so, several things. So my old box of sweaters and books that I was going to bring over as a gift to you, you'd rather me keep? <laughs> I mean, you can bring them. They just won't stay in my house. <laughs> That's so great. There are entire genres of things that I can't stand that people... I don't understand who's watching all these horror movies. I cannot stand horror film. <laughs> and I get when they have, oh, it's a, it has a point to it. And it's so artistic. I'm like, no, I don't want to go somewhere that's going to haunt me. And I'm not going to be able to sleep. And I'm going to imagine somebody's under my car when I get back to it. Like, I don't need it. And I don't need to see the violence of it. I just can't stand it. I also, like, on the other end of the spectrum... In the light and fluffy part, most people, I think, are inoculated to this. But if there's any show that has a laugh track, I cannot handle it. And I know some of the shows we've even mentioned tonight have laugh tracks. But one of the reasons I love The Office is it creates an awkward space for you to kind of laugh or cringe. And I think, Adam, you brought up The Office. It's so great. If you watch some more 90s television, though, or even before that, or Seinfeld, you know, it's just like, I can't. Uh, I used to appreciate, I think, the Cosby show, shows like that were like filmed in front of a live audience. And so you'd be like, okay, these are real laughs, even though they were like laugh tracked in there uh, with other stuff. But I hope that in listening to this, you've learned something about uh, the hosts of Culture Matters and our producer, David Rourke. And I hope that what comes from it is some appreciation of the art and creativity that the Lord has instilled in the human heart. Because there is so much beauty that has been created both by people who love him and people who don't. Uh, that actually despise him. And yet in them, the Lord has placed a creativity that still reflects his glory and his goodness. And so in all this art, uh, what I can truly say that I appreciate is when uh, the growth in my relationship with the Lord that comes from appreciating those things that are beautiful. And so there's a lot that I don't like in the world and a lot that I do. But more than anything, I hope that the things that we've mentioned will redeem some time for you and point you to your Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. Today's episode was recorded and mixed by Chris Starrett, produced by David Roark. If you like what you heard, please give us a great review wherever you listen to the podcast. Follow us on Instagram and support our patron page at patron.podbean.com slash culture matters. Thank you and God bless. <laughs>